Good morning. Let's begin with a prayer. Merciful and everlasting God, you did not spare your only son, but delivered him up for us all to bear our sins on the cross. Grant that our hearts may be so fixed with steadfast faith in him that we fear not the power of sin, death, and the devil. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, let all God's people say amen. The overriding theme for the readings and the focus of our worship this morning is really that the Christian life is a constant looking forward. And in the process of that constant looking forward, your future can be turned upside down and inside out in the time it takes to inhale a breath. One of your relatives has passed away and well-meaning neighbors or folks are just saying to you, you just gotta have faith. It's okay, just gotta have faith. Your spouse's health is failing. And your relatives, your neighbors, well-intentioned, are saying to you, you just gotta have faith. You just gotta have faith. You're experiencing an extremely difficult pregnancy and your OBGYN nurse, as she's walking you out to set up the next appointment, just says to you, squeezes your hand and says, you just gotta have faith. You just gotta have faith. What do all of these well-intentioned people mean when they say you just gotta have faith? You just have to have faith in faith. You have to have a positive mental attitude. You have to have a positive outlook that, that somehow everything's gonna turn out okay, except things don't always turn out okay. What then? It sounds to me like the people who say you just got to have faith are encouraging the hearer or encouraging you to form this opinion that has absolutely no basis in fact whatsoever. In other words, that's a really good definition of wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is not God's definition of faith or of surety or of certainty or of hope. Definitely not. Today, I want to help you be able to pray, Lord, give me such a faith as this. Give me such a faith as this, not depending upon my own experiences or my sight, but based only and always upon your promises alone. Faith is oh so much more than the intellect and the senses and the eyes and the ears and the tasting and the brain and the heart, although it involves all those things, right? It involves the entire human being. So what exactly is faith? I like the translation that's a little bit closer to the Greek that is from the old NIV. This isn't bad, it's a little elaborate. Let's get to the point. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, if this is the first time you've ever heard that, or if it's been a long while since you've heard that verse, at first hearing, it sounds like there are two contradictions going on here, doesn't it? At least according to our worldly mind and our worldly um, intellect. If you're hoping for something, that means that you do not yet have possession of it, right? And you have absolutely no inclination whatsoever that you are ever going to receive it. And if you... Also, on the other hand, if you can't see something, then how do you even know that it exists? 
And according to the worldly thinking, both of those things are very fair questions to ask. And the answer from some worldly thinking person was, well, you can't. You can't know if you're ever going to receive it. You can't know if it even exists. Seeing is believing. you got to see it. I have said, and you have heard me say it many times, that faith without an object is only... Oh, I guess I didn't say it enough. Superstition. Faith without an object is just superstition. So what is the object of Christian faith? Well, you would not be wrong to say Jesus, like a good sixth grade catechism student, seventh grade catechism student. But really, what about the Old Testament people? They never saw Jesus. They knew about the promises of a coming Messiah. So what is the object of Christian faith? It is the promises of God contained in his word. It is the promises of God that tells us, the Bible tells us that Jesus is God's son, which means that he's human and he's divine. The Bible tells us that this Jesus laid down his life to redeem, to buy back from sin, death, and the devil, to redeem a world of sinners. The Bible tells us that this Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sins and mine and the sins of the whole world. The Bible tells us that this Jesus not only died, but on the third day he came back to life. The Bible tells us that this Jesus is the only way, truth, and life in order to get to the Father. The Bible tells us that this Jesus, one day after ascending to heaven, is going to come back to bring his believers back to home with him. You and I have seen none of these things with our own eyes. And yet, we are sure and certain that all of this is true. Why? Because you have wishful thinking that it's true? Because you've deluded yourself hoping that it's true? No, that's something that's generated from within you. You need something that's generated from outside of you and placed into you, and that is divine faith. That's the gift of faith that the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart to convince you that all of this is true. Now, it is true that our definition of faith is by nature kind of circular reasoning, right? Um, this is definitely not the kind of reasoning that's going to fly over in the logics department over the University of Ottawa. Uh, those professors love those logical syllogisms, and they're not circular reasoning. What's circular reasoning? We believe that the Bible is God's word because the Holy Spirit has come into our heart to convince us that it is God's word and works faith in our heart to believe it, and so we believe that it is true that this is God's word. You see, it's circular reasoning. It's self-authenticating. And in the real world, that doesn't fly. But in the kingdom of God... It soars like an eagle. It's absolutely amazing. So, the circular reasoning. Who ever heard of, you could use trusting, you could use faith, makes visible what is not visible? In the real world, that doesn't fly. Who ever heard of trust or faith is the very essence of things hoped for and the very conviction of things not seen? I mean, this is a way of speaking in the world that says, I believe, therefore it is. And in the real world, that doesn't fly according to the physics of our world, does it? But in the kingdom of God, this circular reasoning is not just circular reasoning. This is circular reasoning that won huge commendation and accolades for Abram. 
Abram was 80 years old, and he was concerned that the son that he did not have meant no glorious fulfillment of the promise that God had made him back in Genesis 12. And now we're in Genesis 15. And so Abram knows from human experience that he has never ever heard of an 80-year-old man fathering a child. So God's remedy to Abram's conundrum, not his doubt, his conundrum, was a promise. And this promise was oh so much more than just the promise of Isaac's fulfillment. It was oh so much more than just the delivery of Isaac as a baby. No, the, the promise of the land and the descendants and the huge numerous uh, family that were gonna come from his line, that was more than over the top fulfilled. That was abundantly fulfilled. But that wasn't all of the promise. In fact, that wasn't even the main part of the promise. Because you see, what's buried here in plain sight is the gospel story, is the gospel promise, the Christmas gospel. The God here is speaking of the seed that to whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. So, yes, faith is not just what your senses and your eyes and your ears and your brain and your heart and your intellect. Faith is a whole lot more than that. But faith does not believe because of personal experience. Faith believes in spite of personal experience. That's because it is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Now, Abram always trusted God, even when there was absolutely nothing for him to see, especially when what he did see did not look overly promising. And I would just say example A, exhibit A, would be just think of the time when God asked him to sacrifice his long-awaited son, Isaac, right? But that is the way of faith. Faith is perfectly happy to go along blindfolded and trusting God to lead him and lead it, right? Lead the person that has that faith. Abraham never saw Jesus in the manger. Abram never saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He never saw him hanging from a cross. He never saw Jesus raise his hands in blessing in the upper room on Easter evening. And yet, Abraham believed all those promises of God with a rock-solid, firm grip that the strength that the Holy Spirit had given to him. You and I have never, ever seen Jesus with our physical eyes in the physical flesh. You and I have never ever heard his lips speak words that we can hear. You and I have never seen the wounds in his hand or like Thomas, the, the pierce in his, the hole in his side. And yet, we believe with a surety and a certainty. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has given us faith. What, what is that phrase that Jesus quoted that he said? during his ministry about not seeing and yet believing? He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Faith is not a leap in the dark. It is not the blind leading the blind. It is not chicken little hoping that the sky is not gonna fall. It is not faith in faith. 
Faith is a gift from God that takes hold of us and gives us the ability to be able to trust his promises as our only way to move forward. And sometimes, that's all we've got. It lifts our eyes from the sands of this world to the heavenly shores because only faith can do that for us. My human experiences, it can never do what this God's, godly gift of faith has done for me. I'll give you an Exhibit A. The summer before my third year of pre-seminary training, one of my classmates was killed in his summer job. His name was Andy Jacobson, and he was driving a water truck on a road crew that was in the Kettle Moraine area west of Milwaukee. The Kettle Moraine area is like this. And he took a curve too fast with a half full truck of water, with the water truck, and he rolled it and it rolled down into the ravine, into the kettle of the Kettle Moraine. Andy was a smart young man. He was a fine Christian gentleman. He was smart, he was athletic, he was extremely polite. I watched this guy grow from a young boy into a great young man. I knew his parents, and I knew his siblings. In fact, Andy Jacobson, along with Paul Schultz's good friend, Pastor Schultz's youngest son, used to sometimes come and knock on the door and say, can Aaron come out and play? And they'd take him down to the ball diamond, and they'd practice baseball with him. Andy Jacobson um, decided that he wanted to study for the ministry, and I would on occasion, he'd ask me, He'd ask, he, he would ask me with none of his friends around because he didn't want to be seen with the old guy. But he would ask, Mr. Getzinger, do you think I can get ride back to Milwaukee with you so I can spend the weekend with my folks' house? And, and then, could you give me a ride back on a Monday? And I said, are you sure you can endure the time with the old guy in the car? I don't want to embarrass you or anything. You know, he was fine. So I gave him several rides back and forth before, before the pastor track campus was moved out of Watertown and moved to New Ulm. His funeral just about shut down classes for the pastor track men at Martin Luther College. St. John's Lutheran Church, which can hold 450 people, could hold no more. And there was standing room only. And there were people actually standing outside on the front steps in the sidewalk in order to be able to hear something. With our eyes blinded by tears and our throats not able to sing very well, at least Karen and I, we said our farewells, our temporary farewells to Andy Jacobson, who just six years later would have been ordained and called and ordained as a, as a pastor in our church body. His death, his death rocked the world of an awful lot of people within the church. And a lot of people were asking the question, why? Why in all the world would God take such a fine young man out of this world? Well, the answer is because that fine young man was God's child. And God wanted that fine young man home with him for whatever reason is up to God. A lot of people 
ask themselves, well, I just don't understand why God would take a fine young man like that, but a fine young man like that who's studying for the ministry. Do you think clergy are exempt from tragedies in life just because we're the holy man? Well, you're the holy man and holy woman too. But God loves his church so much that he assured that another young man would be raised up to study for the pastoral ministry and to be able to shepherd God's sheep. And one of those young men that he raised up was Andy's brother, who's a pastor in the wells to this day. But I think the biggest question that bothered people was how in all the world are those poor parents going to be able to endure such a loss as this? They endured such a loss as this because their trust was not in what they saw with their eyes. The body of their son lying in a casket. Their trust was in a living Savior who had given them a promise. A promise that because I live, you too shall live. And your son, Andy, is with me now in the glories of heaven. That's where their trust was. That same promise has been extended to the Roshan family for their comfort in these days following Kevin's death. That same promise has been extended to you. The life of a Christian is a constant looking forward, and that constant looking forward, that future, that future can sometimes be turned upside down and inside out in the time that it takes to inhale a breath. We will not always be able to see with our eyes or understand with our brains everything that we experience in this life. Um, but like Abram, we trust God's promises. Because sometimes that's all you can do. Because sometimes your eyes are so filled with tears that you can't see the way and you're blinded. Sometimes your heart is so broken that it's just numb. And the only thing you're capable of doing is trusting the promises of God, the rock-solid promises of God. We know that what we see and experience in this life, it's not all that God has promised to us. And we do, with a large sigh, a deep sigh, sometimes let out along with the church father. What makes the heart of the Christian heavy? The fact that he or she is a pilgrim and longs for his own country. Jesus once said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. This precious gift of faith that God graciously has granted to us, it clings, it clamps onto this promise and all the promises of God. And then it boldly declares for its own sake, but for the world's sake. This is most certainly true, and it is. Amen. Please stand. 
The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. I invite you now to take up your service folder.